Yo, this is David back again with another episode of the Blood and Fire Radio podcast. This is episode number 124. And as promised, uh, this is part two of my In Memoriam episode that I did a while back. Um, yeah, there was just too many to to not do a part two, basically. Um, a buddy of mine is the one that kind of said, you could actually do a whole other episode because there's several that you left off. And he gave me a few, and it was kind of a facepalm moment where I'm just like, yeah, wow, I can't believe I forgot this one and forgot that one. So, here we are. I decided to make another list. And yes, uh, for those of you who missed part one of this, basically this episode's theme is bands that have lost a a key member or somebody that was kind of really important to the band's legacy. And um, most of them continued on, uh, but some of them, you know, whenever they lost this particular member, the band just kind of ceased to be... But, um, just forewarning, I do have Lunatic Cat in the house again. I mean, he's always here, but sometimes he's asleep, and other times he's being a stinker, and right now he's just staring at me and meowing and, uh, running around the apartment and stuff, so... He's, uh, he's gonna be a lunatic in the background of this whole damn thing. So, (laughs) let's go ahead and get it started off. Uh, this band is one of my all-time favorites. Out of New York in the USA, existing from 1990 all the way up until 2010, that is Typo Negative, and of course uh, Peter Steele passing away in 2010 uh, kind of made this band cease to exist because frankly he's the type of uh, of frontman and character um, that you just can't replace. There's no way they could continue on without him. Um, Yeah, he passed away, I remember early on when it first happened they initially said heart failure, uh, so when I heard that, I was like, oh, okay, that's just from years of, of uh, drug abuse and things like that uh, that caught up with him. But um, upon reading his uh, biography, they kind of go into more detail about that, of, of it was actually like a gastrointestinal type thing, I guess, where uh, something had ruptured and he was kind of going, uh, getting sepsis, basically and died from like the shock I guess of that but um, in the book from what I recall he was feeling really bad and it was getting a lot worse and his girlfriend at the time was pleading with him to just go to the doctor but he did not want to go to the doctor because if I remember correctly one of his cats who he loved more than anything in the world he loved his cats one of his cats was either sick or was really old and was on the verge of passing away and he didn't want to leave the cat like he just wanted to be with the cat So he told his girlfriend, I'm not going to the doctor, I'm staying here with, you know, whatever the cat's name was. So, uh, yeah, whenever things reached, like, a critical point where he just couldn't even move without a lot of pain, abdominal pain and stuff like that, I think his uh, girlfriend called for an ambulance. And I don't even think he made it to the hospital. I think he died at home uh, before they were even able to, like, do anything about it, so... Uh, very different from heart failure, which is what they, they initially posted was the cause of death and all that, so wildly different, but uh, it was pretty eye-opening reading the biography. But anyways, um, I could play any number of songs, because they had a lot of, uh, of hits, you know, radio hits and things like that. Um, I'm going to play something off of a often overlooked album of theirs, or at least it's one that people don't consider to be their best, but I think it has some of their best songs on it. That album is 2003's Life is Killing Me. 
Uh, it was their last one released through Roadrunner Records, and it was their fifth album uh, out of six. Uh, the album Dead Again was their last one, and I think that was their only one released through maybe SPV Records, I want to say it was. But, uh, but yeah, this one, you know, World Coming Down was such a perfect album, and then this one came out, um, and it wasn't as uh, well-received, I guess. Uh, but it wasn't frowned upon either. People just kind of felt like it wasn't as strong of an album. Even some of the guys in the band, uh, like Josh, the keyboard player, said that he felt like it was a little bit of a step down. But I still really enjoy this record, and uh, this one's actually the album Closer, and I just think it's an excellent song, and it's not too drastically long, because some of their tunes can get pretty long. So, uh, so here we go. Let's kick it off. Off of Life is Killing Me, this is Typo Negative with The Dream is Dead.
Alright, that was typo negative with The Dream is Dead. We're jumping to Finland with this next one, and this band existed from 97 to 2019, although they did exist prior to that uh, under a different name. But uh, the band is Children of Bodom, and uh, I probably have seen Children of Bodom at least five times live, and it's never really been by choice. They've never been a band that I don't like. Um, but they're not a band that I was like a huge fan of, but they were very busy. Like they had a good work ethic and they seemed to be on every tour. So, uh, there were several times that I would go to see another kind of bigger act and they would be on the tour opening for them, like Slayer and stuff like that. Uh, I saw them opening for Iced Earth once and I can't remember some of the others, but, um, but yeah, I first knew of them from my friend Chris. Uh, he was always a step ahead of me in terms of stuff he was getting into music-wise. Um, you know, I'm still listening to Testament, and he's moved on to, you know, uh, Demu Borgir and things that are more uh, black or death metal. And it would always take me a year or so before I would kind of get it, and then I would start getting into it as well. But he uh, started getting into Children of Bodom, and he had the first couple of records um, and then by the time they were fully like in my consciousness where I had heard plenty of children of Bodom over at his house and stuff like that thought it was pretty cool um, but yeah what really put them into uh, real popular territory I guess was their 2003 album called Hate Crew Death Roll and uh, they had a music video for the song uh, Needled 24-7 and yeah, that seems to be around the time that they were really starting to get popular, and by the time they reached like the mid-2000s, 2005, 6, 7, around there, uh, they were just everywhere. Um, but of course, Alexi Leho is the main man and song, well, not songwriter, they all kind of split um, some duties there, but, um, but he was kind of the main man, it was his band. Um, I remember him from Synergy when he was in that band with his then-wife, uh, Kimberly Goss. And uh, the guitar work in that was excellent, and of course the guitar work in Children of Bodom is uh, equally excellent. And he passed away, oh god, how long has it been now? A year? Year and a half? Um, he, Children of Bodom kind of ceased to exist after 2019, all, all the other members had quit, and uh, they had rights to the name. So um, he was kind of forced, Alexi Leho was forced to start a new band. Uh, and he named it uh, Bodum After Midnight, and um, after he passed away, they released like a posthumous um, EP, I think it was. It was only like three three or four songs. Um, but yeah, he had a long history of, uh, of drug use and extreme alcoholism. His kind of drinking habits on tours and things was kind of uh, a thing of legend, I guess, especially for his size. He was a little guy, a short guy. But, um, but yeah, I heard that he just drank a ton. But it all kind of caught up with him. I think at one point he had revealed in an interview that he was now diabetic, uh, kind of as a result of all his drinking, and I don't think he really uh, curbed his lifestyle that much uh, even after that diagnosis. So um, I think, if I remember right, his, his cause of death was kind of from, like, kidney failure, basically, and... Uh, he just looked in very poor health anyways at, at recent shows and things like that. He just looked incredibly frail and, and pale. And uh, But yeah, it's a real loss because he was one hell of a guitar player and a good songwriter and a good vocalist as well. People don't really focus on that as much. But, um, but yeah, that was definitely one that kind of shook the metal world when it happened. But I'm going to play something off of Hate Crew Death Roll since that was kind of one that launched them into popularity. Um, that came out in 2003 through Spine Farm Records. 
and it was their fifth album uh, out of ten. So I'm not going to play Needle 24-7 because that's just too obvious of a choice, I guess. But I do enjoy this song as well. So here we go, off a of Hate Crew Death Roll. This is Children of Bodom with You're Better Off Dead. Yeah. 
Alright, there we go. That is Children of Bodom from Finland with You're Better Off Dead. Um, yeah, they kind of, for me, fell off a little bit uh, after this album. The one that came right after it, I want to say it was called Are You Dead Yet or Aren't You Dead Yet or something like that, uh, was okay. And then they kind of lost me for a couple albums there. And I never really went back until recently. Uh, I want to say, God, you know, maybe 10 or 12 episodes ago I played something of theirs off of a more recent album and I can't even remember which one it was now off the top of my head but there was um, the very last album they did didn't grab me very much but the couple that they did before that that I initially you know slept on for years um, upon listening to them they were actually pretty good <laughs> so I kinda missed out on some of their stuff uh, at the time but um, but yeah I'm glad I kinda went back and, and gave it a listen Alright, we're going to Sweden, Stockholm, Sweden, for the next two, and they have a direct connection to one another. First one has been in existence since 89, and that band is Necrophobic, and I love Necrophobic. Um, but I'm a little bit different, because uh, some people really love the debut, and I, I think it's fine, but I don't think it was particularly memorable. I think the stuff they've done since has been much better, and... Um, one of the things this is gonna this is gonna be an interesting uh, introduction here because necrophobic the person in question who passed away from necrophobic is David Parland and he of course uh, formed necrophobic with the drummer and then uh, after the debut he left and started up uh, dark funeral um, and he was an original member of dark funeral but then he left dark funeral after one album so he's never really stuck around long in these bands but uh, he still is kind of looked upon really favorably for his contributions in starting both of those bands. Um, so yeah, he passed away in 2013 um, by way of suicide, I believe. Um, I don't know the guy's real name, but uh, Lord Ahriman from Dark Funeral, the other guitar player, founding guitar player, he's kind of been the main guy ever since David Parlin left, um, as far as like kind of the leader, so to speak, of the band. But he had said right around that time in 2013 that they had kind of reconnected. Like, they they had they would speak on occasion, but they weren't conversing regularly over the years. But around that time, uh, David Parlin reached out to him, and they were chatting more. Um, and it was mainly because he just wasn't doing well um, uh, emotionally and mentally, and was just wanting to talk to his friend, basically. And uh, Lord Ahriman said that he felt like he was, you know moving in the right direction towards kind of uh, becoming a little happier um, and that they were conversing you know frequently and just kind of talking about life and stuff like that and then uh, you know it kind of came as a shock whenever he ultimately took his own life because they thought that he was kind of going in the right direction towards uh, improving but um, uh, evidently not but um, yeah he played on all the demos and the first EP and the first album for Necrophobic so um, I didn't want to play something off the debut, I wanted to try and dive back a little further than that, because uh, their demos are pretty good, and then the EP they released is really good, so uh, they released a compilation in 2009 called Satanic Blasphemies, and that came out through Regain Records, and it kind of had uh, several things from the demo days and the old EP and stuff like that, so it was more kind of rarities and and uh, just really old demo versions of songs and things like that, so they do have nine albums in total up to this point. Um, but yeah, I'm going to play something off of this compilation, and actually it originally comes off of the EP from 1992 called The Call, and I just really like this song, and I like the production of that EP, 
It's nice and raw, but not, you know, unlistenable. Um, so here we go. Off of The Call EP from 92, this is Necrophobic with The Ancient's Gate.
Necrophobic with the Ancient's Gate off of their 1992 EP, The Call. Um, Alright, so we're going to play Dark Funeral next since David Parland also was a founding member and uh, early contributor to that band for their debut album. Um, they formed in 93, so that was right after he left Necrophobic. Uh, I guess he was wanting to go in kind of even darker, more straight up black metal territory. Um, the debut came out in January of 96 called Secrets of the Black Arts through No Fashion Records. And uh, that was their debut of seven, I believe they're up to now. They've never really been in a hurry, especially with recent albums. Uh, they tend to have, you know, a pretty hefty amount of time in between albums. Um, but yes, I'm actually going to play something not only off of the debut, but off of the Unisound uh, version because they went into Unisound Studios with Dan Swano um, to record the debut, and I guess things just weren't going well. Um, I don't think Dan enjoyed them very much at his studio. I don't know if there was financial issues of him not getting paid, so he just wasn't going to release the recordings or something like that. So then they ultimately said, well, let's just do this at a different studio. So then they went to Abyss Studios, and re-recorded everything, but uh, by the time they re-recorded everything, they had had a uh, drummer change. And the drummer who played on the actual album that got released did a fine job, um, but I think the drummer that played on the version that was recorded at Unisound um, is even tighter. Like, I think it's tighter and faster, and um, yeah, I just think he did an awesome job. But... Um, so yeah, I'm going to play something off of that. They released uh, like a re-release of Secret of the Black Arts, and as a bonus disc, they had the Unisound version of it as well. So the production's a little bit different. Um, I think the instruments kind of blend together better, like they sit with each other better in the mix with the Unisound version. Um, things are a little kind of too punchy and in-your-face with the Abyss version for me, but they're both good. I mean, I've, I'll happily listen to either one of them, doesn't matter, but yeah, that's the version I'm going to play uh, right now is from the Unisound Sessions. So, uh, yeah, here we go, off of Secrets of the Black Arts, this is Dark Funeral with The Fire Eternal.
go that was dark funeral with the fire eternal i actually have a correction to make there the drummer change for them happened in between their 1994 ep and uh this debut so there wasn't a change in between the unisound session and the abyss studio session that actually is the same drummer that played um on the debut for both the Unisound and the Abyss uh, sessions. So, same guy, but I just think maybe he does a little tighter performance during that Unisound session. Um, so, yes, my mistake. I knew they had a drummer change. I just was off by about a year with that. Um, all right. We're going to USA here out of California. This band has been going since 83 in one form or another. And that band is Megadeth. And uh, say what you will about Megadeth and Dave Mustaine. He's an asshole. Always has been, but the man writes a mean riff, and uh, he's made some great records over the years. He's also made a career out of doing the exact same goddamn licks in every solo that he plays, and somehow gets away with it. I don't know how, but he pretty much does the same crap in every solo that he writes, um, but he just kind of is brilliant enough to employ amazing guitar players (laughs) to play with him, so he can kind of sandwich his solos in between some really badass ones from the other guitar player anyways that's just my own little gripe there is that (laughs) like i'm just shaking my head listening to the new songs that they've released so far from their upcoming album because he's just doing the same stuff the same exact stuff in his solos that he's done for 30 years um but yes i was really torn here because the member in question uh, that I'm kind of honoring with this selection is Gar Samuelson, 
uh, the original drummer, fantastic drummer, really jazzy. He was a jazz drummer who then was convinced to join Megadeth and, and kind of started playing metal stuff from there. Um, but he had a real jazzy flair, but of course they also lost um, Nick Menza. He didn't pass away, neither did Gar for that matter. Neither one of them passed away while they were in the band. They passed away years later. Um, so I was torn whether or not to play a Gar song or a Nick song because they both were phenomenal drummers and they both really heavily influenced me when I first started drumming when I was 13. Um, that's one of the first songs I learned was Symphony of Destruction because it's so easy. But uh, I really had a deep appreciation for both of their, uh, their you know, drum skills on these uh, on these albums and these songs. But uh, yes, I, I didn't want to do a twofer and play two Megadeth songs in a row here, so uh, even though I'm playing a Gar song here, I just wanted to definitely uh, mention Nick and uh, what an impact he had on me personally. So yes, I'm playing something off of the debut. The debut album was called Killing Is My Business and Business Is Good. And that came out in 85 through Combat Records. Uh, I think it was their only one through Combat Records because by the time they uh, released Peace Cells in 86, I think they were already signed to Capitol at that point. Um, so yeah, that's their debut out of 16. I think they're, they're about to release their 16th. Um, and it's pretty good. I like the singles they've released from the new one because they have Dirk Verburen on drums and he's fantastic. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. They're all right. <laughs> I'll check it out when it's released. But yeah, the drumming on these first two albums from Gar was just fantastic. And this one song in particular, I think, uh, since there's a variety of tempos, and there's just lots of little nuances to his drumming um, that are just done so smoothly uh, in this song. And it's a really memorable song, and the production is just nice and, and raw, but not too raw. And I'm actually playing the remastered version here because they did a really good job with the remaster. So just take a listen and enjoy the sweet drumming from Gar Samuelson. So here we go, off of Killing Is My Business, this is Megadeth with The Skull Beneath The Skin. <laughs>
Alright, that was Megadeth with the skull beneath the skin off a killing is my business. Um, Alright, let's see here. Uh, I, I don't think I actually said how Gar Samuelson passed. He passed... Oh, I want to say it was like late 90s or something like that from uh, liver failure was his cause of death. And then for Nick Menza, he... Um, had a heart attack on stage. He was playing in the jazz trio, uh, I guess they're called OHM, um, with Chris Poland, who's also a former member of, uh, of Megadeth. But uh, yeah, he had started playing with them um, about probably a year before that, and he passed away on stage um, and just kind of collapsed in between songs, and they called an ambulance, and, and he, I think he was already gone before they even got him to the hospital, which is a... Real shame and real sad, but I guess that's kind of uh, the best way to go for a drummer is to be drumming <laughs> when it happens, I guess. Um, Alright, we're going to uh, to the Birmingham area in the UK for this next one. Band is Bolt Thrower. They existed from 87 up until uh, 2016. And uh, their last album came out in 2005 and they... I respect it. They said that they didn't want to release another album unless they were certain that it was better than their last one. And uh, the stuff they were writing, they felt like it was fine, but maybe just wasn't quite better. They felt like they've reached their pinnacle uh, with the album Those Once Loyal that came out in November of 05. That was released through Metal Blade Records, and I'm going to play a song off of that one because the... Uh, the member who passed away from Bolt Thrower is Martin Kearns, who had the nickname of Kitty. Uh, not Kitty like Kitty Cat, but K-I-D-D-I-E. No, they called him that because he was 17, I believe, when he first auditioned and joined the band. That was right after Andy Whale left in 94, I believe that was. So he joined when he was 17, and he just kind of blew him away. They weren't expecting uh, him to be as good as he was at that young of an age. So he was in the band from 94 to 97, and then he left uh, for a few years, and it just says for personal reasons, it didn't really explain. Um, but he ended up coming back into the band probably around uh, 2000, I want to say. It was only just a few years that he was out, and then he remained their drummer from there on out. And he played on the records Honor, Valor, Pride, and then on Those Once Loyal as well. Um... So yeah, it felt like he was in the band forever, and I guess he kind of was, but when he passed, he was only 38. He died of, uh, of a heart attack in his sleep, basically. He was rehearsing with the band, because uh, even though they weren't releasing albums, they still played festivals, uh, like every year. They made the rounds through the summers playing festivals. And yeah, they were rehearsing for some sort of an upcoming gig, and he just was feeling sluggish the whole rehearsal and not feeling well. So they kind of called it off early, uh, he said he was just going to go home and try to get some rest and see how he felt the next day. And then he just didn't wake up that night after he went to sleep. So, uh, very sad. I know he was a heavy smoker, but, um, you know, even I, I know plenty of heavy smokers that live till they're 90. So, I mean, the fact that he was a smoker probably didn't help, but um, I'm sure there were all sorts of factors, you know, genetics and otherwise, that probably led to the heart attack at the age of 38. And it's definitely a reminder for me to take care of myself. I feel like I do a pretty good job, but uh, it doesn't hurt to kind of get poked a little bit and reminded to keep taking care of yourself. 
but yes, very sad. I did um, kind of look up to his drumming style and model my own drumming style after it, honestly, because he was very no frills. He did not do a bunch of flashy stuff. He was just a really solid drummer, a very tight drummer, a very hard-hitting drummer, um, and that's just kind of how I've always wanted to be as well. I've never really wanted to throw in a bunch of real flashy stuff in my own performances. Uh, so yeah, this one, this one hit hard when he uh, when he died. Um, but yes, this album is phenomenal, and they definitely went out on a high. Uh, lots of great songs off of this one. Uh, this one's just, the production's so heavy, and this song in particular is just so heavy. So here we go, off of 2005's Those Once Loyal, this is Bolt Thrower with Anti-Tank Dead Armor. Let's go. 
Thrower with anti-tank, dead armor, off of those once loyal. Uh, yeah, they definitely went out on top with that one. That's one of their best albums, both with uh, how good the songs are and the production is uh, is probably the best production they've ever had. Uh, all right, we're going to Poland here, another death metal giant. Uh, that band is Vader. They've been going since '83. I say death metal, but honestly, they were more thrashy in the beginning, and then they were more thrashy now later in their career. <laughs> the last couple of albums have uh, kind of embraced kind of 80s thrash, um, both in their songs and their aesthetics. Honestly, they've kind of embraced the fact that, like, yeah, we're, we're old as hell, and we've been around since the 80s, and we're going to kind of embrace that. <laughs> so, But I definitely consider them to be a little more of a straight-up death metal band, um, kind of in the late 90s through the mid 2000s but um, that's just splitting hairs doesn't really matter but uh, the member who passed away in Vader was Doc uh, the drummer he was not the original drummer I want to say he joined in 87 something like that um, but yeah he passed away in 2005 at the age of 34 which really blew me away in my mind he was older than that so the fact that he was only 34 is uh, was kind of shocking for me to see that um, but he was phenomenal like compared to other drummers i mean pete sandoval of course was doing some real fast stuff but um to me doc was doing stuff you know uh as far as double bass goes and things like that that people just weren't really doing yet they all had to kind of catch up to his you know uh standard that he set um but he was really good and he was a big inspiration for me not because like Martin Kearns you know I could play along to his stuff and really kind of model my drumming after that I can't really play along to Doc's stuff you know there's a few Vader songs that I can play pretty well but um, he was so damn good and he was really fast and really tight and yeah there's just uh, I was a I looked up to him more just uh, to something to aspire to hopefully be one day <laughs> to hopefully get my skills to that level I don't know if that's happening. I've been drumming for over 20 years now, and I'm still not quite to that level, but um, it's still fun to try. I just played a song off of this album, actually, a couple days ago, and did it fairly well, but I'm still not great at it. Anyways, the album in question that I'm going to play something off of here is Litany from 2000 through Metal Blade Records. That was their fifth album out of 13, I believe they're up to now. But, uh, yeah, that one I first heard on the Metal Blade Records uh, 20th Anniversary box set that I got back when I was a, a young lad, still in high school. And, yeah, my first taste of that was the song Wings. Um, that was the first I had heard of Vader, and it was so good. And the production, the kick drums were so in your face. It was just punching you in the chest every time he hits the kick drum. Uh, and then I bought the album that came after it, uh, Revelations. That was uh, a favorite album of mine for a while there. Oops, just bumped my mic. I'm good for doing it at least once an episode. Uh, but yes, Doc died at the age of 34. Um, I want to say it was from something liver-related. Um, but he, you know, one of the biggest issues he had in the band was alcoholism. I mean, they all drank, but he used to do it uh, in uh, excess uh, often. 
And the kind of uh, final straw, I guess, was when they were recording the album uh, The Beast, which came out in 2004. Um, as far as I have heard, the story is that he was... I don't know where they were, if it was at a rehearsal space or something like that. Uh, but he was super drunk, and he fell down some stairs and hurt himself. And I forget what he hurt, his back or something like that. And they just didn't want to wait for him because they just felt like it was his fuck up and he shouldn't have been drinking that much. And they have been imploring him to get some help for his drinking for a while and he just wasn't doing it. So the fact that he was drunk and fell down the stairs and hurt himself uh, and was wanting them to kind of push back their studio time and they said, sorry man, you need to go fi figure yourself out and, and get your shit together, but we're carrying on. We're going to have somebody else do drums on this album. So they didn't kick him out. I think they had expectations of bringing him back eventually if he was able to kind of get himself under control. Um, but then he ultimately passed away uh, about a year after that. From I, I, I should have looked it up, but I feel like it was some sort of a liver failure or cirrhosis or something like that. Um, so yeah, very sad. And they continued on after that for a few albums with uh, DeRay on drums, who's the guy that filled in on The Beast. I don't think he was expected to be like the new full-time guy for years and years, but then it just turned into that. Um, but yes, this album here, Litany, kind of stands as like a crowning achievement, in my mind at least, for, for Vader and for Doc's drumming in particular. You can hear it front and center. So here we go, off of the 2000 album Litany, this is Vader with The Calling.
right, there we go. That was Vader with The Calling off of their album Litany. Um, that's still probably my favorite album of theirs with Revelations being kind of right there. Um, all right, we're going to Norway here. This band existed fairly short time from 2000 to 2009. Um, the band is Celestial Bloodshed from Norway, and they... Weren't around for long, but they definitely left their mark. Some excellent black metal. Uh, I want to say there was two albums that they ended up releasing during that time. Um, but their singer is the one who passed away here. He was a very good vocalist. Uh, he was only 25. His name was Steingrim Torsen. And it was a very bizarre manner in which he died. He was uh, shot to death by one of his friends in an accident, according to the friend. Um, I was unable to really see what happened to the friend if he ended up getting convicted of murder because I think they ended up trying him for murder because there were some eyewitness accounts that kind of contradicted some of the stuff he was saying and some evidence that I guess pointed to it not being a true accident so I don't really know what ended up happening there as far as convictions and things like that but basically they were at I don't want to call it a party, but a gathering of some sort, and um, I guess the friend was showing the singer his gun. I don't know if it was a new gun or something like that, but basically a gun was out and it was being shown, and then the singer ended up getting shot um, in the stomach and passed away um, in the hospital, I guess. But um, but yeah, very sad. He was only 25, and... Um, and he was good, and the band was good, so it's a shame that they kind of had no choice but to really stop after that. Um, but I'm going to play something off the debut from 2008. I think I've played something off of this album before as well. I know I've played them before on a previous podcast, but I think it was off of this debut. Um, actually, this might be the only only album of theirs. Hang on a second. Okay. So I had to cut it there and check for myself because I was starting to question myself. So no, I was right. There are two albums, but the second album came out after he had already passed and after the band had already basically called it quits. came out in 2013 called Omega, or it's just an Omega symbol. Um, but it's music that they recorded in the studio in 2010 after he had already passed, but they originally recorded it on tape back in 2006 so I believe they were using the vocalists tracks from 2006 and then re-recorded the music in a studio in 2010 and just kind of mixed it all together they had a couple of guest vocalists helping out on a couple of the tracks as well so uh, I knew I wasn't crazy there but yeah this is the only album that he was like there in studio recording with the band was this album from 2008 um, but the album is called Cursed, Scarred and Forever Possessed and that came out through Debemer Morty Productions, and uh, it's a great album. It's out there on Spotify as well if you want to give it a listen. Um, but yes, I can't remember exactly which tune I played um, the previous time that I played them on the podcast, but I know it wasn't this one, <laughs> so I feel like I'm safe. I didn't play this one already. So here we go, off of Cursed, Scarred, and Forever Possessed. This is Celestial Bloodshed with The Demon of Old.
Alright, that was Celestial Bloodshed from Norway with the Demon of Old. Uh, Alright, we're going back to the USA here out of California and one of the original American thrash bands and definitely a band that should have been included in the, the big four. That would be Exodus. They are one of the originators. And they formed in 79 back with Tom Hunting and Kirk Hammett and... Um, Eventually, Hammett left to join Metallica, and Gary Holt kind of took over all the songwriting duties and things like that, and then they got Rick Hanult in there uh, for the H-Team on guitar for Exodus. But, uh, yeah, they definitely deserved more recognition than they, they got. Of course, they're certainly well-recognized now, but back in the day, uh, during during the 80s, when you know the thrash craze was really going on, uh, they weren't really getting the recognition that your, you know, Metallica and Megadeth and stuff was getting. But uh, the person who passed away in Exodus was Paul Bailoff, and he was their vocalist from 81 to 86, and then he came back super briefly in 93, but didn't record anything at that time. I think that was just kind of a real, real brief uh, attempt to get him back in the band. And then he came back again in 97, and they released a live album, and uh, I think the intention was for him to be the permanent vocalist again moving forward but then he ultimately uh, had a stroke and passed away in 2002 at the age of 41 which was a real shame but um yeah the mark he left is undeniable on the debut uh that ended up being the only album of theirs uh, on which he participated but uh, that came out in april of 85 through torrid records and it's a shame because it got um delayed as well because they recorded it probably about a year before that in 84 and it just got delayed and pushed back and finally got released in 85 but by then some bands you know like Metallica and Slayer and stuff like that they were already a couple of albums deep uh, into their discography at that point so they were kind of late to the party of course all the locals in California in that scene were all about Exodus they loved Exodus and were going to shows for years uh, but yeah, it's just a shame that on a more national scale and international scale that uh, this debut came out as late as it did because they definitely were kind of late to the game and um, didn't get to strike while the iron was hot, you know. But the debut is a classic and rightly so. The songs are super memorable and uh, Paul's vocals really make it stand out from the crowd. He always had a bit of a weird voice compared to other thrash vocalists and uh, the stuff he would say to the crowds during shows was just nuts like to get them riled up super violent stuff that you could never get away with saying now but uh, he was a lunatic and he was exactly what they needed um, it's just a shame you know he he was he lived a, a rough life he didn't take great care of himself and uh, he was just uh, a bit crazy <laughs> a bit crazy but yeah that was a bad loss because you know, I would love to to hear more recent albums of theirs with Paul on vocals. Like nothing against Steve Souza, but um, I would love to hear Paul's voice on on newer music of, from Exodus. But it's never gonna happen, unfortunately. So we just have to enjoy this debut, which was the only album that he sang on for them. So here we go, off of 1985's "Bonded by Blood." This is Exodus with "Strike of the Beast." <laughs> Start to sweat, so what? About to die. 
Exodus with Strike of the Beast off of the debut album Bonded by Blood. Yeah, Paul, after he left um, Exodus, or was kicked out, I guess, in 86, uh, he formed his own band called Piranha, which is actually named after um, an Exodus song from the debut. And they never really released anything. They did three demos in 88, and then it kind of fizzled out by 89. Um, he also sang for Hyrax, um, which is kind of a thrash, like, punk hybrid that is still going. They've been going for years and years, but he actually sang for them briefly, but never uh, recorded anything with them. 
And he also, same thing for uh, Heathen. Heathen's another pretty well-known uh, thrash band from back in the day, but he joined them in 88. Um, probably right around the time that uh, Piranha was fizzling out, he joined Heathen, but never really lasted more than six months, I'd say, in that band, and never recorded anything with them either. So it's a shame that we don't have more uh, to hear <laughs> from him, more than he sang on, you know. Um, all right, we're staying in the USA here, out of Washington State. This is, you know, I've played Alice in Chains before, and this is kind of right along with that, where it might not be considered like a full-fledged, like, metal band. You know, some might just call it like a hard rock band. But I'm playing Soundgarden. So they existed initially from 84 to 97, and then they regrouped in 2010 and uh, continued up until uh, 2017. The person in question who passed away is, of course, Chris Cornell, the vocalist. Uh, he was 52 when he died, and uh, he passed by hanging himself in his hotel bathroom with a stretchy exercise band. Um, but there was a lot of controversy around that because he, he, he was heavily medicated. He took lots of medications for different things and anxiety and stuff like that, but he took too much, and maybe it was just too strong of a medicine that he shouldn't have had access to. Um... And yeah, it was after a show um, on his way back to the hotel that he took the pills that he took. And then he called his wife and was not making a whole lot of sense on the phone. And she was concerned, so she he hung up on her and she tried to call his bodyguard. And the bodyguard, bodyguard answered and he was staying in a different room. Uh, so he tried to go over there to check on Chris and he would not come to the door so it took a whole lot of um, trying to get hotel staff to open the door and he got sick of waiting and I think he either kicked it in or used his shoulder or something but he just burst through the door and it was already too late at that point um, but yeah there's some controversy this is a little TMI here but there's some controversy around it because of the amount of blood um, in that bathroom on the floor like it was very considered very unusual for that amount of blood to be on the floor from a self-inflicted like hanging um so there's something i don't know i really don't know what they're suggesting people that kind of bring up that that point <laughs> but because there was nobody else in there you know what i mean so uh it's pretty clean cut as to what happened but uh that is just kind of an unusual thing about the event that people point out is like they just this strange amount of blood there but yes it's a shame i mean he was a really really excellent vocalist and lyricist and uh, played on some excellent albums of course he formed uh, Audio Slave with some of the guys from Rage Against the Machine that was never really my thing but um, same with his solo records and stuff it was never really my cup of tea but you can't deny um, how talented he was but um, I'm going to play something off of uh, their kind of breakout album what I consider to be their breakout album which is Bad Motor Finger came out in 1991 it was their third album out of uh, six total and that came out through A&M Records but they had a music video for Jesus Christ Pose that was um, that was pretty you know heavily circulated I guess at the time but uh, it was a good record and it really highlighted his insane vocal abilities um, excellent range and just really a really identifiable unique voice and that's always I've said it a million times that's one of the most important things a band can have is if you have a singer that sounds different from the norm um, it's gonna usually lead to good things <laughs> so 
Off of 1991's Bad Motor Finger, this is Soundgarden with Face Pollution. That was Soundgarden with Face Pollution off of their Bad Motor Finger album. Yeah, I love his voice. Like I owned uh, the following album, uh, Super Unknown, which came out in 94, I believe. I had that on cassette and used to play that on the old Walkman all the time. Um, but yeah, his voice always kind of had like a David Coverdale vibe to it, just with more like grit to it, more attitude to it. Um, all right, we're going to Finland here. This band formed in 89. I forget when exactly they called it quits. Um, but they they stopped after their uh, guitar player, um, Mika Tenkula, passed away in 2009. So, yeah, I think they considered continuing on. But I think probably by about 2010 is when they were just like, yeah, we're just going to hang it up. Uh, he was only 34. I forget... I forget what it was that got him, but um, but yeah, that's way too way too young to go. But um, he must have been super young too. If he was 34 when he passed in 2009, and they formed in '89, so he was like 14 or 15 when they first formed. That's nuts. Um, but yeah, so that once they stopped, I mean, they of course started off uh, death metal, and they just were 
always not content from one album to another. They would change up the sound, add elements, and just go for a totally different vibe from one album to the next. Uh, their first couple were definitely more straight-up death metal, and then they started getting a little more experimental, and by the end, they kind of were going for more of like a gothic, you know, very... I say poppy, but it's not pop by any means, but you know what I mean as far as the songs being shorter, catchier, um, different type of vocals, way different type of vocals from the early stuff, and just kind of going for more of a catchy vibe, um, which was really not my thing. I mean, when I when I listen to Sentenced, I really only want to listen to the first two or three records. Um, I'm playing something off of my favorite one, uh, which to me is, is still their best, which is their second album called North From Here came out in June of 93 through Spine Farm Records, and uh, they ended up releasing eight albums total before uh, Mika Tenkula passed away. But um, this album in particular, I really love, and it's one of my favorite of that Finnish death metal scene from back in the day. I actually have this one uh, on vinyl, and uh, I enjoy spinning it with some regularity. So here we go. Offer their second album, North From Here. This is sentenced with Awaiting the Winter Frost.
There we go. That was Sentenced from Finland with Awaiting the Winter Frost. That's such a good record. Um, I even kind of hold it above some of the uh, the Swedish giants of their that death metal scene. I kind of uh, hold this like a notch above, which I'm probably in the minority when I say that, but I don't care. I feel how I feel. All right, we're going back to the USA here. This band existed from 82 to 2010, although the singer and namesake of this band was already very well known by that time. The band is Dio, of course, that's Ronnie James Dio. Uh, by then he had already been in, you know, uh, Rainbow and Black Sabbath and stuff like that. Um, very well-known voice, um, super powerful voice that never really dwindled. Uh, even the last album, that they released, I want to say it was in 2000, oh, I'm bumping my mic again, 2008, something like that, and he still sounded great, but uh, I was fortunate enough to see him live, not with his band Dio, but with um, whenever he kind of regrouped with some of his Black Sabbath bandmates, and they formed that band um, Heaven and Hell, that's what it was, named after the album, uh, one of the albums on which he sang with Black Sabbath, but I saw them live, and I want to say Megadeth opened on that tour, but they were great. He sounded great. Um, they released an album as well, and that album was actually really good, but he, he sounded good up until his final days. Uh, he passed away in 2010 uh, from stomach cancer at the age of 67. Um, very sad. I mean, it was just one of those things where he's considered just such a legend that it definitely kind of shook the, uh, the metal community when he passed. Um... But yes, there's been some bands in recent years, like Last in Line is one of them that kind of initially started to kind of celebrate the early Dio music, and now they've kind of carried on uh, writing original music of their own. Um, but that band actually features Vivian Campbell, who played guitar with Dio for uh, the, the first part of his solo career in the 80s there. And a lot of people consider that to be kind of the, uh, the golden years I said, well, that's, actually, that doesn't make sense. Golden years is usually late in their career. The best years, let's just call it that, um, of his career. But um, Holy Diver, of course, gets all the uh, the glory. That was the debut, and it was really, really good. Had some big hits on that. Uh, I really enjoyed the follow-up just as much, if not more. So I'm going to play something off of the follow-up album, which is Last in Line from 84. That came out through Warner Brothers Records. And, uh, yeah, I feel like by this point they had kind of settled into their sound and expanded upon it a little bit. Uh, the guitar work is great from Vivian Campbell. And uh, Dio, of course, sounds fantastic as well. The title track gets a lot of love off, off of this album, but uh, I don't hear people talk about some of the other deeper cuts off of this one quite as much, but it's an excellent record. Uh, so here we go. Off of 1984's Last in Line, this is Dio with Evil Eyes. <laughs>
right, that was Dio with Evil Eyes off of the album Last in Line. Um, of course, Dio still existed uh, up until recent years when they did that whole Dio hologram uh, experiment. That was kind of just weird, frankly. So I'm glad that they've decided to not do that anymore. They need to just let let the legacy rest. It speaks for itself. It doesn't need to still be out on tour as a hologram. Um, okay, we're going to Poland here. The band is decapitated, and they existed from 96 to 07, and then they suffered a catastrophic um, bus accident or van accident um, in 2007 that took the life of their drummer. Which was very sad for me. Uh, I, I've told this story before. Like, I was by no means uh, good friends with him or anything. But any time that we would play with them, which happened at least three times with my old band, uh, we opened for them on, on a few occasions at a few different venues and stuff. But I would always strike up a little bit of a conversation with him, just about drumming and such. And, um, and yeah, I mean, he, there's been times that he was, him and his brother were standing next to my drum riser basically from side stage watching us perform and it was very nerve-wracking for me but uh, he was inspiring to me just because of how good he was at at the age he was he was so young um in 2007 i was 20 and he was 23 he was only 23 when he passed in that accident which is really sad but the stuff he was doing on their debut um he was like 16 like playing on that album and he was doing stuff that I still can't do well now and um but by the end he was really doing some complex stuff because that's the way his brother's um songwriting was going they were getting more complex with uh, timing changes and things like that uh polyrhythms and things of that nature but uh the band is still going they kind of regrouped in 2009 with some different people and they're still going now uh, but I have not enjoyed, like, the vocalist they got. Um, I just don't like his voice at all, so it's really hard for me to get into the albums they've done since uh, that accident. But, um, of course, the drummer died, and the singer at the time, Coven, was his uh, stage name. He is alive, but he is forever changed. He had uh, permanent brain damage um, from the crash, and he's confined to a wheelchair and is pretty much nonverbal and taken care of by his parents, which is really, really sad. Um, but I'm going to play something off of the last album uh, on which those guys played called Orgiastic Hallucinosis. I believe that's how you would pronounce that, but that came out in February of 2006 uh, through Earache Records, and that was their fourth album out of uh, eight now. They actually just released their eighth one this year. But uh, this one that I'm about to play is the opening cut off of the album, and it features uh, lyrics that were written by um, Charles Manson. It was basically a poem that he wrote in prison and they took those words and uh, used them as the lyrics for this song. So kind of interesting, but um, this definitely set the tone for the record and let you know that they are taking it into more complex territories for sure. Um, but the performance is great. I know Krim, who actually ended up being uh, Vitek's replacement uh, in 2009, he actually recently released a video of him doing a drum cover of this since he used to play in Decapitated. I'm sure he had to play it more than uh, a time or two so it's kind of cool to see him uh, going back and, and doing a cover of this cool song so here we go off of their 2006 album orgiastic hallucinosis this is decapitated with a poem about an old prison man 
All right, that was Decapitated with a poem about an old prison man. Um, yeah, I suggest you check out on Crim's uh, YouTube channel, check out the cover he did of that, because he, he nails it, of course, because he pretty much had to had to learn it verbatim uh, whenever he was playing in Decapitated. But, um, but yes, at this point I was going to play, I feel like I should mention this, I was going to play a song by Halloween, um, for their drummer Ingo, who played on the first five albums, uh, who died in 1995. He was only 29. Um, but I was having all sorts of issues with the file, and I don't know what the hell was different about this file compared to the other files of, uh, from the songs that I'm using on this episode, but it was just... It didn't upload properly, I guess, or download properly, I guess would be the term. But, um, but yeah, whenever I inserted it into the session, it just was not... Like, it was all screwed up, so I just said, you know what, I'm tired of fighting with this one. It just wasn't meant to be played, so I'm not going to play it, but I wanted to mention it. I was going to play the song Eagle Fly Free, um, because Ingo was a great drummer, and he actually influenced a lot of people, um, even in death metal and stuff like that, like, who who came later in the 90s, uh, would would cite him and his work with Halloween in the 80s as, uh, as influences, and, um, yeah, he was, he was dealing with, like, depression and, uh, alcoholism and things like that, drug use. He got, uh, kicked out of the band, uh, I want to say maybe 93 or 94, and, um, after that, he didn't get better. He kind of spiraled, uh, downward even more, and he ultimately took his own life by throwing himself in front of a, uh, train, which is a pretty brutal way to go, but um, but yeah, his legacy definitely lives on. I know on the last album that they just released, um, they actually used one of his old drum kits in the studio. Um, so their current drummer used one of Ingo's kits just to kind of pay tribute to him uh, for this newest album, so I thought that was cool. But yeah, just wanted to mention that, so it's a shame I didn't get to play the song, but whatever, we'll just move on here. It's a long enough episode as it is. So we're going to Sweden here, and uh, this is one of the kind of forefathers of the uh, Stockholm sound. Formed in 89, uh, kind of stopped in 2014, but now they're kind of back to an extent. They just kind of play the odd show here and there. But that band is uh, Entombed. And of course, the person who passed away in uh, Entombed is uh, LG Petrov, the vocalist. Um, whenever things kind of went south with Entombed, he started the band Entombed AD, just to kind of avoid any legal issues. They released a few albums. He was also doing vocals for Firespawn, which is a cool band. Um, but he's just this jovial dude who kind of always had a beer in his hand and always enjoyed the, uh, the party lifestyle, and he was just a very nice, easy-to-get-along-with guy. Um, but he died in 2021 of bile duct cancer. Um, at the age of 49 and um, it was one of those things where when he revealed it it seemed like it was already pretty far gone um, kind of like what's his name Matt Hoffman from uh, Malevolent Creation whenever he revealed his cancer he was already like stage four and it was it wasn't looking good so it was kind of the same with LG he was fighting it but um, but yeah it seemed apparent that it, it was going to be a really difficult thing to, to beat and ultimately he uh, succumbed to it so he was a definite uh, giant in the Swedish death metal world um, yeah it, it sucks because his voice to me 
never really got bad. Like his voice almost got better, I think, over the years. And the stuff he does with Firespawn, I think, is some of his best work. But uh, I'm going to play something off of the debut album from Entombed, just because that was such an influential record uh, for so many bands. So the album's called Left Hand Path, came out in 1990 through Earache Records, and that really just kind of set the template that uh, other bands would follow in that Swedish scene in the years that followed. So uh, great record, not really a weak spot on there on the whole album. Every song is good. Um, Rather than playing one of the more obvious choices that has probably been played a million times by other people, I'm going for a, uh, a deeper cut here. So off a left hand path, this is entombed with But Life Goes On. was entombed with but life goes on kind of an appropriate song title i guess is that you know this whole episode has been about uh band members that have passed away and it is sad but life goes on you gotta keep moving 
Uh, all right, we've reached that time. I'm going to uh, announce the final song of the episode. I, of course, want to thank everybody for listening, and thanks for telling other people about the podcast. Uh, if you want to tell someone where they can listen, they can listen online at bloodandfireradio.podbean.com or on the free Podbean app. And, of course, the entire catalog of episodes is also on Spotify, so you can find it and follow it there. Uh, any sort of feedback or requests or anything like that, you can email me at bloodandfireradio at gmail.com. And, of course, please find and like the Facebook page because any sort of updates or news uh, questions, poll questions for you guys, the audience, or just anything in general about uh, upcoming episodes of the podcast, it's all going to be posted there. So find it and like the page, please. Um, yeah, I hope you guys have enjoyed this theme. I know it's a little depressing, but um, there's probably still more that I could uh, could put uh, on a, an episode like this, you know, that, that is worthy of discussing. But um, I'll probably put this theme to bed after two episodes here. Um, and I'll, you know, start thinking about what my next theme will be. Uh, it'll probably be back to just regular episodes for the next uh, handful until I bust out a theme again. Uh, so I've already got some songs uh, set aside for the next episode. So yeah, I hope you guys have dug it. I think it's a pretty good mix of stuff here. Uh, all right, we're going to Finland for this last one. This band is still going. They've been around since 97, and they were definitely uh, definitely one of a kind back then. That band is Fintrall. And um, I first heard them back in maybe 2002, and uh, it was right after their second album had come out. And as usual, my friend Chris was the one who discovered it and uh, and let me hear it. I thought it was really cool. He went out and bought this album uh, as soon as possible and then went and found their debut, probably on eBay somewhere from some foreign country, and ordered it. But uh, the second album to me is still their best work. Uh, and that album is called Yachtens Tid, and that came out in 2001 through Spike Farm Records. They're up to seven albums now, and their last one, the newest one, is actually, to me, their best one since Yachtens Tid. And the person who passed away in Fintral was uh, Somnium, was his stage name, but his name was Timu Remoranta. And he passed in 2003 at the age of 25. They actually did an acoustic, um, not really an EP, it's kind of a full length, really. But it's kind of a combination of acoustic stuff and just more ambient stuff and sound effects and things like that. Um, but they uh, did that album called Visor Am Slutet, and that came out in 2003 as a posthumous release uh, not long after he passed away. So they dedicated the album to him. But he was only 25. He died uh, falling off a bridge. And some say it was an accident. And one of the other people that was there with him that night claims that he did it on purpose. Um, I believe it's an accident. Most people seem to believe it was an accident because uh, they were out at the at the pubs, drinking heavily, and then he decided to kind of uh, do a little dangerous walking on the edge of the bridge, you know, like standing up on the guardrail, I guess, and just kind of walking on that instead of down on the ground where he should have been, and he uh, he fell to his death. And uh, the band continued on. They actually recruited a guitar player that was in the band back in their like demo days, but then he left and all that, so they talked him into coming back. And he's been there ever since. They've had a pretty stable um, lineup for the most part. Um, but yeah, this was a definite loss from a songwriting standpoint because uh, he wrote some really good parts for those first couple of albums. But um, this one's kind of a more epic song. This is the last full track on Jochten's Tid. Uh, one of my old bands almost covered it, actually. I mean, it's all in Swedish, but that didn't really scare us much. 
uh, we figured we'd be fine. But yeah, it didn't end up uh, working out. We didn't end up covering it. But it's a great song. Brings the album to a nice epic close. Uh, so I figured it was appropriate to finish out the episode here. So here we go. See you guys in two weeks with the next episode. It's going to be a normal one. Until then, take care. Off of Yachtin's Tid, this is Fintroll with Aldhisla. Cheers. Cheers.